0: What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. you're listening to or watching as the case may be. Well, not cogitations, actually. You're actually watching Christianity now, even though it looks like cogitations. Aaron Dotson's not with us this week. And I didn't, I, I wasn't able to get a get a replacement. So you're just going to get me. Hello, Sword and Pearl. Hello, Reginald Perry. It's good to see y'all. Good to see y'all in the live stream. Diana Harden is here. Good to see her. And uh, yeah, today we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you why you're getting this podcast episode for Christianity Now. Can you explain what the role of the Holy Spirit is? If you already have a podcast or video, please share. There are so many misconceptions that I am not clear enough to dispute when the topic comes up. When, Oops, hold on a second. When we obey the gospel, what are we receiving? A denominational friend has said to me that she hears the Holy Spirit in times of danger. In other words, don't cross that bridge to keep her safe. Don't say that mean thing to your husband. It will only cause a fight. When she says things like that, I honestly do not know what to say to her. So this... This commenter on the Christianity Now Streams YouTube channel has asked for uh, basically an explainer video on what the role of the Holy Spirit is, and I thought about just doing a short 10-minute video that's not live and just doing like that talking head explainer type video, but I thought it would be good for the live stream because then you would be able to ask questions and give input and stuff like that. Now, I will say this and this goes all the way back to whenever I was in school, Uh, whenever we did the class on the Holy Spirit, one of the teachers, the the teacher that taught that, he wrote on the board, um, the Holy Spirit is going to do what the Holy Spirit does regardless of what we think or what we know or what we think we know, okay? What we are tasked, I believe, by God Almighty himself to do is to look at the scriptures, and we are only allowed to speak where the scriptures reveal what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And I believe we have enough of a picture painted that we can know the role of the Holy Spirit, and we can know whether or not this is the Holy Spirit operating or this is God working through providence. And somebody said a few weeks ago, whenever we we discussed a topic like this, that we needed to have a, a a podcast on the providence of God. And in fact, so all over the brotherhood, there are people who are quote-unquote experts in their field. I would consider myself to be an expert in the field of, of Holy Spirit. In other words, all things concerning the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you might disagree with me on some things, but it's going to be hard for you to argue because I know my position so well enough, and I probably know your position so well, even if it's a position with, with, with which I disagree. I'm not dogmatic. I don't bind it. But because this is something that interests me greatly, I've been obsessed over it for years and years. And that doesn't mean that I'm the be-all-end-all all authority and you should listen to me without critique or you should naively just swallow everything that I put out there for you to eat. But I would ask that you would at least then consider what I have to say. Now I say all that. I wonder if there is someone for whom that reputation is concerning providence. In other words, for those of my preaching buddies out there, if you were holding a lectureship and you wanted to invite the one person that would be considered the expert on providence. Who? What name? What? Who, whose name are you putting forth? Who are you trying to get for your lectureship? I know that if I was doing a lectureship on the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't be so arrogant enough to think that I would be the only person needing to speak. I tell you what I would do is I would I would holler at Keith Moser. I would holler at Jonathan Jenkins. Who else would I get? I would have to think a little bit, but I mean, well, I would get Barry O'Dell. I'd get Aaron Dotson. I'd get people that, I get people even, I would even get somebody that disagrees with me, uh, with my particular view on, let's say the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the, uh, I believe it's the Denton lectures. I've, I've, I've got my lectureship books of the lectureship books I'm talking about currently in a box, but. There's a there's a lectureship book about the Holy Spirit, the Denton Lectures, and um there there were three lectures, all three of which purported to answer the question of what is the gift of the Holy Spirit whenever uh it's mentioned in Acts chapter two, verse thirty eight. So there are three lectures all purporting to answer that question, but all three of those lectures answer that question differently. Dan Winkler's a good one. I may not have enough clout to pull Dan Winkler. I do believe I might I might have enough clout to pull Steve Higginbotham. But I don't know that I'd have enough clout to pull Dan Winkler. Um but I would love I would love to have either or both of those men on the show um to talk about Providence. And I would hate to um I would hate to do the rock and sock 'em robots. I would hate to put Dan Winkler and Steve Higginbotham in a ring. For them to spar to see who is the the, the bigger the toughest expert in the uh, discussion of providence, but I would love to have him on. John X. if Roy Lanier Senior was still living, I'd recommend him. But he's gone. Jonathan, it made me feel some kind of way. Don't be suggesting all the best people if they're dead. If we can't if we can't get them. Man, what kind of friend is that? Oh, I got a real good fella in mind. Oh, yeah, I can. Well, how do we get a hold of him? Well, about that. <laughs> You're going to have to live right because I think he's in heaven. All right. No, I'm just I'm just busting your chops. Anyway, y'all be thinking about that. I'll keep Dan Winkler and Steve Hingabotham in mind. Might try to reach out to one of them. Jonathan says sorry. No, man, you ain't got nothing to be sorry about Folks, man, we got so many people in. Uh, of course, I've already said uh, Sword and Pearl, Reginald Perry, Diana Harden, Terry Crooks, Wayne Vaughn, John Exum, Sue Ross, Rob Leedy, Terry Crooks, Paula Wusi. Good morning, everybody. I think that's got y'all. Um, Lanier has a book on the Godhead, the Timeless Trinity. Trinity. Oh, that's, that'd probably be a good book. Hey, um, all jokes aside, John, does Lanier have a book on Providence? Who, who is it? That, uh, was it Cecil May that wrote the book on Providence that we use uh, from time to time in our classes and it may have even been a textbook if I'm remembering correctly. Anyway, the point is there, there are experts in fields um, and and I would I would very much like to interview the ex, the experts in fields. Yeah, Cecil May wrote probably, okay, that is Cecil May then. I, I've, I've actually got a copy or two of those books. Connie Barden, I can't remember if I said hello to you or not. Anyway, hello. Oh, by the way, check this out. Can you see it? <laughs> My arm is not broke. Now, I didn't go to the doctor, but I know it's not broke because it's it's absolutely 100%. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you touch that bruise right there, I'll yell. But <laughs> In fact, vengeance is mine, said the Lord. I will repay. But if you touch that bruise, I may try to repay and 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 step up into the Lord's place because it is tender. I mean, it is soar's arising if you if you touch it or put pressure on it. But I know it's not broke because it's 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 um it it's full full range of motion, full strength. Nothing nothing wrong at all. In fact, when I woke up this morning, um. It wasn't my arm that was hurting. It was my back and my knee and some other parts of my body because now that kind of caught up with it. But I'm fine. I'm just oh feel like a big dummy. Um Cool Beans. Ar- Arn or Arnisa? I'll have to Google that. Hey, hey Alabama. And Rob Leedy said, I believe Jimmy Jividin. Wrote a book on providence as providence as well. Not 100% sure on that. Okay, cool means. Guys, let's get into this idea about the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, all right. John, I'm going to let that long quote there uh, stand. Okay, my dad rubs it in with the green alcohol. Cool. I'll have to check on that. <clears throat> say what you want to about Canada. Canada's got really, really good, really good coffee. Can you explain what the role of the Holy Spirit is? There's so many misconceptions. I'm not clear enough to, uh, to dispute the topic when it comes up. When we obey the gospel, what are we, what are we receiving? So let me answer that first off. And, and this is talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, verse 38. There are three doctrines that you can hold that do not damage the text, the context, or the or the doctrine of the Bible at large, all right? So what is the gift of the Holy Ghost? One is the gift of the Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost himself. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Folks, that is a doctrine that a lot of people hold. I do not hold that doctrine. I do not believe because I, I and the reason I hold that is because of the grammar. Grammatically, and, and I'll, I'll do this, I'll do this with this cup. Now there's stuff in this cup. So if I say I am going to pour out of my cup, well, you know for a fact that it's not the literal cup that I'm pouring out. It's the cup I'm pouring out of, which that's why we don't end sentences with prepositions. Ending sentences with prepositions is something up with which we should not put. So I am go- of, of out of my cup. I shall pour. Well, pour what? Something. In the context, what is being poured? Well, clearly in the context, power is being poured. Does that mean that the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is the Holy Spirit himself? It could be. It, 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 it could be that the phrase of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is what is known as apexegetical genitive, meaning, for instance, I'm in the city of Moncton. City and Moncton are the same thing. Moncton, Moncton informs or elaborates on city. Okay, um, okay, cool. Robert Leedy said in Roy Lander's book on the Godhead, he has a chapter entitled "The Holy Spirit and Providence." I'll need to, I'll need to check out that book, Robert Leedy. And uh, Connie Barnes says, "What did I do? I fell down the stupid stairs." We got tile in our kitchen. And our stoop as you walk in, and it's a split level house. And when I come in from outside, um, I can go downstairs, or I can go upstairs and go up three steps to go into the, uh, kitchen and the main floor of the house. When I say the main floor, it's got two floors, it's got a basement and a, and a living floor. But, uh, if I go downstairs, I go down nine stairs, and that's where my office and our bedroom and, and a den is. Anyway, um, So when I come in, I take my shoes off. So I put my shoes back on to go downstairs because when I go down to the basement, there's carpet on the steps, there's carpet in my office. I like having my shoes on. I don't know. I'm weird. I've always worn my shoes in the house. And um, when I put my shoes back on, evidently they still had some water on the bottom. And when I hit that middle step going down to the stoop, my feet kicked out from under me and I fell. It was rough. Peter quotes Joel. And there the Hebrew is clear. I will pour out from my spirit. It is not the spirit being poured out, but the spirit doing the pouring. Neil Abbott, I agree 98% with, I think it's God. I think it's, I think it's the father that was pouring out his spirit or pouring out of his spirit. And again, I mean, we could, we could fight about it. I don't know who'd win, you know, but. Um, I, I do, I do, I don't think it's the spirit doing the pouring, because that would mean the the spirit is pouring out from Himself. I think grammatically, you have an entity pouring, and that Greek preposition apo out and away from, so something is pouring out and away from the Spirit. Well, I think it's God the Father, uh, but again, it, it doesn't change the fact what was received in my opinion is what was poured out well it wasn't the holy spirit that was poured out according to joel it was power however acts 2 verse 38 it's very possible that gift and spirit are apex- are in relation and spirit informs or clarifies gift that is possible so it could be that the gift of the Holy Spirit in the uh, in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 is the Spirit himself sorry I'm writing this down now it would have to be what is referred to as an impotent or a non-miraculous Peter also said uh, that what was poured out was being seen and heard by those present. Yeah, that's a that's a Neil. That's a hard one to get past, ain't it? As you know, because I can't see or or or, or feel the um, or hear rather the spirit himself. I can only see and feel its effects. In fact, that's uh, that's John chapter three verse eight. The wind bloweth as it listeth, and thou. Hear at the sound thereof, but canst so not tell whether it cometh or whithersoever it cometh, or whether it goest. I-, I can't. I can't discern the spirit himself, but I can discern through my senses what the spirit is doing. <clears throat> One of the reasons I hold the position I do is because of the and in Acts two thirty eight. If the second part is not applicable. Then neither the need to repent and be baptized would be either in my view. Yeah, I don't grammatically that doesn't bear out though. So he that believeth, well, the, uh, excuse me, the, the, the verse there. And so this gets into the second view that can be held is salvation and all its attending blessings. But let's, let's, let's clean up this first view here but the spirit himself. If it is the Holy Spirit himself that, Is being received when one is baptized, then you've got an issue with exactly what people would have understood of the day. I don't think anybody there would have understood, well, you're getting a non-miraculous indwelling of God Himself. Well, that doesn't make any sense. In other words, there's not enough, there's not enough stuff there to explain this. That's too abstract. They, those people, it wouldn't it wouldn't have meant anything to them. It wouldn't have been any good. They'd been like, okay, so what? I need something where I can confirm the word. I need something where I can fulfill my obligation to the Great Commission. I need to, I need something where I can proselytize. You know, so having a non miraculous, impotent indwelling, that that doesn't make much sense to me. Okay, but that is, that is one of the things that is taught. Now, salvation and all its attending blessings. Well salvation he that believe or excuse me um, repent be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy ghost to the people that hold this view there's a huge problem with that you cannot scrutinize this verse in this way well if you do what they did you get what they got Well, what did they do? Well, they heard the gospel. They believed the gospel. They accepted the truth of it. They repented of their sins, and they were baptized. And they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right, so whenever I do what they did, I can have what they had. There's just one problem. There isn't a man or woman alive today that has ever done what they did. And I want you to think about that. I want you to find me a single person that went through and did exactly what those people on the day of Pentecost went through and did. Can you replicate that in the 21st century? The answer is no, you cannot, you cannot replicate what was going on because this was the, first time the gospel was ever preached. It was the first time the gospel was ever heard. It was the first time the gospel was ever obeyed. It was all done at the preaching of an apostle. This cannot be replicated. So to say, well, if you do what they did, you get what they got, that's fine. Then you got to do what they did. In order to get everything that they got, you got to do what they did. Well, what did they do? They were on the day of Pentecost, they heard the first gospel sermon and at the mouth of an apostle and in the presence of an apostle obeyed the gospel. That's what they did. Now, if you can do that, then yes, you can get what they got, including the gift of the Holy Ghost. I think it would be, well, first off, to me, just grammatically speaking, it is the height of foolishness to say, well, uh, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive salvation. Grammatically, that sounds pretty good. But it would be redundant because they knew that salvation was calling on the name of the Lord. They wanted to know how to call on the name of the Lord. I think a much better way of conceptualizing this from a narrative, grammatic uh, perspective is it's repent, be baptized, or excuse me, it would be call on the name of the Lord and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost the people present on the day of Pentecost who called on the name of the Lord, they received what generally calling on the name of the Lord gets them, which is deliverance out of the power of darkness and translation into the kingdom of God's dear son. And because it was at the preaching and presence of an apostle, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost as well. That That is, that is more faithful than, to the syntax, semantics, grammar, and context. And it's also more faithful to what was actually being poured out. The Holy Spirit, nowhere from any verse in its context, is ever promised to Christians in general. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is only promised to the apostles. Power is is the only thing that is said to have been poured out. So again, if you call on the name of the Lord, you're going to receive what calling on the name of the Lord gets you. And if you do it at the mouth of an apostle, in the presence of an apostle, then you're going to be able to get what that gets you, which is the gift of the Holy Ghost. So it is true on the day of Pentecost. If you do what they did, you get what they got. That's right. If you obey the God, if you hear the gospel and obey the gospel by the mouth of an apostle in the presence of an apostle, then you can get what they got. you'll have what they had. The 3,000 shouting men and brethren just two months prior to this for shouting crucify him, crucify him absolutely. Rusty Kirby, could it be the laying on of the hands of by, by an apostle? Yes, we're going to, this comes to the third what what do we receive when we're baptized question? um rusty if so they would not only need to be baptized but also laid hands by laid hands on by 12 men in the same day no they they wouldn't have to be laid hands on by 12 men in the same day it only takes one apostle to be to to lay hands and and the apostles wouldn't have to baptize them and they wouldn't have to get the gift of the holy ghost immediately following their baptism There could have been a line for baptisms and a line for laying of hands. Oh, and and here's another problem. This this is this is um, this is irrational. It, it it violates the third logical law, the logical law of rationality. It is irrational to conclude that there are no miracles being done. So this is a non sequitur, and there are and there is no record of miracles done outside the apostles until chapters later. There doesn't have to be. And it wasn't part of the narrative anyway. We're focusing on what the apostles did on the day of Pentecost and the what the apostles did uh in establishing the church on earth. Um but yeah, there in fact in Acts chapter six, the context and the and the verbiage of Acts chapter six truly and really demand that there were miracles going on before we see um uh, Philip and company, um, in Acts chapter six, being being made uh, servants. I, I'm I'm loath to say deacons. I'm not sure that deacons is a good word because of the of the of the overload of, of the semantic because it's semantically overloaded. But yeah, the as far as I'm concerned, the the salvation. The, the fact that yeah yeah and he we are witness of these things and so is the holy ghost whom god uh gave to those who obey him yeah again that verse is not teaching that the holy ghost was given to those who obey him you got to put that in its context and you gotta you also got to parse it out grammatically um acts 532 and again let's just let's just go read it Does the promise in Acts 2.39 include the gift of the Holy Spirit? Yes, it does. In fact, 2.39 is fulfilled in Acts chapter 10, whenever the Gentiles are called. All right, so let's go to East Sword. Let's go to Acts 5.32. All right. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and, answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we, the apostles, are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God has given to them that obey him when they heard that they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. So again, if we pull this verse out of its context and say, well, looky there, right there, God has given the Holy ghost to those that obey him. And that means that each person directly gets the Holy ghost. All right. Well, that would be the only place in scripture that talks about generally the Holy Ghost being given to someone. And incidentally, this would be more for a, um, this would be more for a, an indwelling passage than it would be a, what is the gift passage. So again, the the apostles are his witnesses. Also the Holy Ghost. Well, how does the Holy Ghost testify? This is a signs and wonders. This is not an indwelling. This is a signs and wonders. Um voice recognition. Ah, uh, yeah, that'll get you sometimes. Uh and 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 239 absolutely does not include us. It does not. Um it's it was fulfilled on the day that Cornelius and his household obeyed the gospel. <clears throat> Again, we'll go we'll go back to Acts chapter 2. See, here's here's my problem is folks that that preach that the gift of the Holy Ghost is salvation or the gift of the Holy Ghost Ghost of the Spirit himself, they cannot stay in the context and prove their point. They cannot stay in Acts chapter 2 and prove their point. They got to go other places. One of the marks of a true doctrine is where you can stay right in the text and you don't need anything else to prove it. Grammatically, what was poured out is not the holy ghost it was power the holy ghost did not show up on the day of pentecost the holy ghost showed up in power but what was poured out again power not the holy ghost now and and john you may disagree but you don't have any you don't have any proposition upon which to stand You have no proposition whatsoever on which to stand. Oh, hold on. All right, so here it is. Acts 2, 38. Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost for the promise. Well, what has been promised? The problem is the people that think it's salvation, they haven't identified the promise. Remember, this is the context of Joel. Peter Peter said, we got to go back to Joel for this. What is happening is what is being talked about in Joel. What is promised in Joel? Well, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the outpouring of power to testify that Jesus is the Son of God and he is set down at the right hand of the majesty, and the word is the word is true. So the promise is that. The promise is from Joel. The promise that Joel spake about is unto the Jews and to the descendants of the Jews and to all those that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call, who is it then? And now remember, we're still within Daniel's seventy weeks. To whom does the gospel go first? The gospel goes first to the children of Israel. So the gospel first goes to you and to your children. That's going to be the last week. In fact, the first three and a half. Days or three and a half years of that last week, the gospel is going to be confirmed to his people, and then as many as the Lord our God shall call, those that are far off. Now, I know I just said, well, and you know, we don't we don't need to leave the context for an identity of all those that are far off. We don't need to leave the, the we don't need to leave the context. But we can. Well, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Who is those that are far off? Well, it's the Gentiles. That, that's the language that the Holy Spirit uses to identify the Gentiles. You who were sometimes afar off, you've been brought nigh. When did that happen? According to Peter's own testimony, it happened when... Acts chapter 2 was replicated in Acts chapter 10. And that's another thing. The people that say that the gift of the Holy Ghost is salvation and the gift of the Holy Ghost is the Spirit himself, they have to deny or they have to say that Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10 have nothing to do contextually with Acts chapter 2. That Acts chapter two was just a special thing. Well, Acts Acts chapter eight, the Holy Spirit was not given to those people at baptism. Somebody had to come down in order for those people to get the Holy Spirit. That's that's what this is. That's what the that's the verbiage that's used. In fact, we can go read it. Well, I said we can go read it. All right. Let's see. Verse 14 is where I need to be. Normally I go to this passage about verse 18, but now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. If you receive the Holy Ghost when you're baptized, how come it took apostles to have people receive the Holy Ghost? If if the Bible speaking of receiving the Holy Ghost is non-miraculous and it's either salvation or it's the Holy Ghost himself but the non-miraculous indwelling, then why do I have this language in Acts chapter 8? Now keep in mind this is the same spirit inspiring the writer, but it's the same author. So we're using the same vernacular the same way of describing things, it doesn't it doesn't jive with Acts chapter two. If Acts chapter two is salvation, if the gift of the Holy Spirit is salvation, or the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit Himself, is it possible to argue also that the miraculous speaking in tongues by Cornelius' household? was intended to persuade Peter. Well that's 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 not even anything that can be argued. That's just what it is. Like that's that's exactly what it is. I'm not going to do what some do and that's make uh post to withdraw from you and to call you names and to think of you any different than previous. I think that would be sinful and plain unloving. In the grand scheme of things, we be brethren and should be treated as such regarding our view of the gift of the Spirit. I agree. But if you're going to hold this view, you've got to be able to defend the view. And I've not seen anything anybody's offered to be able to defend it. Uh, In fact, the, the arguments that people use to defend the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is salvation and all its attending blessings. Those arguments are very, very disappointed, and I really would like to find some people that could articulate it better because I haven't found anybody that's been able to articulate it well, even these "quote unquote" giants from the past, they just like you're you're reading this, and you're saying, "Well, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself." Because Acts two thirty eight, I'm like, "Okay, well, look what's being poured out." Well, yeah, the Holy Spirit's being poured out. Nope, grammatically, the Holy Spirit is not is what is not what is being poured out. Grammatically, it's power. And one of the reasons why you know it's power is because you can go all the way back into the Hebrew. This is the beautiful thing. Um, Let's go to Jeremiah. Come on, Jeremiah. Where are you? Joel, not not Jeremiah. All right, check this out. This is interesting. Um, All right. And it shall come to pass. This is 228. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. There is an untranslated particle that is a sign of the definite direct object, not translated in English, but generally preceding and indicating the accusative. Now, what does that mean? That means that whenever you translate this from Hebrew to English, It's going to come out, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit. But you have to account for this untranslated particle. Grammatically, it is the same as me saying, I'm going to pour out my cup. You know that cup is not the object of the verb pour, not the direct object here's the way you here here's the way you would write that sentence i am going to pour out coffee from my cup now we understand that sentence the direct object is coffee because that is what's receiving the action and it's modified by the prepositional phrase of the cup or from the cup i can't remember how i organized the sentence that's right it's the liquid in the cup so here we have, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit. Cool. What are you pouring out of your spirit? Well, look at the context. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Incidentally, to Rob Lady who asked about the promises to you and to your children and to all those that are far off. In Joel, this is to all those that are far off. If you'll look, you go all the way back to the Pentateuch, to Deuteronomy, uh, the the contracts, not the right word, the the accord, the concord, whatever, treaty. Uh, they took these people in and they weren't supposed to. And so these people were cursed that to the relationship to the Israelites, they were going to be, servants and handmaids and and house tenders and stuff like that. Anyway, all right. Yeah, I, absolutely. And again, I have no problem with somebody disagreeing with the overarching doctrine. But like, for instance, the problem that I have is somebody saying, well, Tony, it's clearly the Spirit Himself that's being poured out in Acts chapter two. Like, no, grammatically, it's not. It's got to be power, and so that's what I look at whenever I, whenever I find, whenever I find my conviction of the three views. Which view fits better with the overall context of the Bible, with the context of the prophecy of Joel, with Peter's preaching about the prophecy of Joel? with what we learn about the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8, and then what Peter says about the household household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and then what about the promise? What was promised? Well, power from the Holy Ghost. And that promise is unto you and your children. It was given through the apostles, but it was also given through the apostles to the Gentiles. And it was given collectively through the medium of the apostles. That all of that fits beautifully with the context. And it doesn't violate any rules that are easily discernible that we know of. Like, for instance, it doesn't mean that we have miracles happening. It doesn't mean that we... doing, Doing research on this and reading the patristic writings... Um, the church Fathers so-called, they write about the Holy Spirit, of their in their in their works, ratioed about as much as the Bible mentions the Holy Spirit. So it's not a whole lot. And I was very perplexed. First off, I think it's very interesting that some of my contemporaries, whenever I talk about the Holy Spirit, indwells the Christian, but through the medium of God's Word. In other words, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three dwell inside the individual through faith. Well, what is faith? It's action you take based on what you believe. So it is through the word of God, thats knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that grace and peace is multiplied unto me. So I give diligence. I add to my faith virtue and to virtue so on and so forth until we get to godliness. Is that the last virtue? Anyway, brotherly love, godliness. We are made partakers of the divine nature, folks. How? By letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, by being filled with the Spirit, not with wine, where it is excess. So when I look at all of this all of this preponderance of teaching, oh, to be made partakers of the Holy Spirit, to be made partaker of God through the Holy Spirit that is to assimilate the teachings of the Holy Spirit and to follow what the Holy Spirit communicates from the mind of God using Jesus Christ, the Word. Gotcha. That makes so much better sense to me because it's not mystical, it's not magical, it's not it's not far beyond finding out. It's something that I can wrap my mind around. I really, really need $100 and. This guy walking down the street has $100 sticking out of his wallet that's just dangling there. If I walk 10% faster, I'll be able to snatch that $100 bill, and not a soul in the world will know that I've done it. What keeps me from sinning? The Holy Spirit does, folks. How? Well, the Holy Spirit has communicated that, they who stole should steal no more. That's Ephesians chapter 5. Stealing is ungodly. And thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, from their position of prominence in my heart, works with what my desire is. And I say, you know what? I don't need that $100 bill so bad. Now, I and God work together to keep me from sinning. That's a beautiful thing. It's not magic. It's not miraculous. It's not mysterious. And it's not beyond finding out. We've got to take that away from the Bible. We've got to get mysticism in the occult. Out of the scriptures, they're fairly easy to understand. We just got to quit looking at them crazy through the lens of of, the, of a nutter. Now, why did I bring up the church writings? One one of the church fathers, the church fathers, the writing of the church fathers. One of them, it kind of blew my mind. One of them said that being made partaker of the Holy Ghost, um, being in the fellowship of the Spirit is the same thing as a scientist being in the fellowship of his particular school of science. There are rules of physics. And if you are a physicist, and then you are made partaker of the spirit of physics. Well, that's because we're able to ascertain the rules of physics, and we we know those rules of physics, and we function within those mathematical rules and things like that. A doctor, a, a, a cardiologist, they are they are fellows, and the way they are made partakers of the cardio, uh, the the cardiologist spirit is they know everything there is to know about the cardiovascular system, the heart and such like, and they are they share that fellowship. Well, it's the same thing with being made in the fellowship of the spirit. We follow the rules, the commandments, the precepts, the divine examples. That the Holy Spirit gives, and we are all have that commonality, that's fellowship. The first step to eternal life is to hear the Holy Spirit gave us words to hear. That's it. That's why it's why there's a blessing in reading the Bible out loud. Because the Holy Spirit gave us these words and we need to hear them. And hearing them does us good. We had a study of the Holy Spirit, and I said we have the indwelling when we study and have God's word instilled in, in us. No one agreed with me because it's not real cool, evidently, Connie. I mean, again, the, the, my father is living in me. Bill Brewer, how do you know I have the spirit of my father living in me? Because you can see me act like him. If you know him, you can hear some of the things that I say and you hear him. My daughter is brutal, and I'm proud of her. (laughs) My daughter and my son, but to, to a much larger extent, my daughter, she has my spirit in her. It's not magical. It's my influence. Study to show thyself approved unto God, workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you live the way God wants you to live, you're going to have his spirit dwelling in you. I don't understand why people don't agree with that. And I think the reason they don't agree with it is because they want to mysticize Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Ooh, yes, I can. Hey, Tony, can you share thoughts on John 3, 5, where uh, Jesus spoke about being born again um, John Exum says, I should apologize because I realized I came across as argumentative here. I don't, uh, I don't need to truly comment that I disagree. I'm sorry. Still working on myself. I'll do right. Don't worry about Jonathan. You don't have to worry about disagreeing with me. Everything's fine. I promise. Uh, let's go to John three, five. Uh, and we'll just, let's just go to John three. I love this. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of extra time on the podcast today um, because I, I do want to get to John 16, 7 through 13 uh, on what the role of the Holy Spirit is. And what I may do when I get through with with this comment here about John 3 and being born again, um, I may I may try to segue completely into the role of the Holy Spirit According to Jesus's words, where I can cut the tail end off that and repurpose it as a as a video. All right, I'm gonna. Oops, I'm gonna read the account. Sorry, I'm I'm healed very well, but that's just still tender, and I gotta watch out how I set it down. All right, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles thou doest, except God be with him. What an what an honest individual. It's very possible that of all the things Jesus taught, Nicodemus didn't believe a lick of it. But logically, he says, you know what? You came from God because you're doing miracles. I need to give you I, I need to pay attention, even if I don't agree with anything. Now, that's conjecture on my part, so don't don't repeat that for the truth. But that's just what it sounds like to me. So I'm, I'm really impressed with Nicodemus. Um, Tis but a flesh wound. Yeah, oh, boy. It didn't feel like a flesh wound. <laughs> I wanted to, thought I was going to have you amputate from the neck up. All right. Number uh, Verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So, verse five. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? It depends on what this word and means actually not so much what it means but how it's used now i want y'all to give me some grace here because i cannot think of this word that is a i believe hold on a second Let's see. Ah, that pulls pulls up too much. Copulative, C-O-P. All right, in grammar, a copulative conjunction is the conjunction of linguistic units that have additive or causal relation. A greater meaning arises, a whole greater than the sum of the parts. I believe that in John 3, 5, being born of water and spirit is copulative, not cumulative. Now I'm cooking with hot butter, the sword and pearl. Does it mean in John 3, 5, unless a man is born of water and spirit, he shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, is that cumulative? In other words, is that you've got to be passed through the the, the amniotic fluid of your mother's womb, and also you have to be born of the Spirit, those two together, or is it copulative, meaning you have to be born of the water, copulating with the Spirit, and then you'll enter into the kingdom of heaven? I believe it is the latter. I believe that the and in John 3, 5 is copulative. That water and the Holy Spirit work in order for someone to be born again. Now, why do I say that? Well, because of the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. A sower goes out to sow. Well, the seeds, you know, the, the parable of the seeds. Now, the apostles say, hey, tell, tell us the parable. L- Jesus in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, the parable is this the seed is the word of God. Now, go with me with First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, I put forth to you that we can say. Now, why did I leave the context of John chapter 3? There is no... There are there, there there's there's not enough information. everything hasn't been revealed yet. The gospel is still mysterious. Jesus only gave Nicodemus a little bitty glimpse. He said in this way, like how is somebody born of the Spirit? Well you're not going to know they're born of the spirit except you see something physically manifest. Well what will that be? Well it could be something as simple as, The baptism. Or it could be something as complex and abstract as you'll see a change in their life. Honestly, I can't tell you which Jesus had in mind. It doesn't matter for John 3. Now, it does matter for the overarching theme of the Bible, I suppose, because I need to know what role the Holy Spirit plays in my salvation if I'm going to be preaching so much about the Holy Spirit and I'm going to be preaching so much about baptism because not a lot of our contemporaries in Christendom, they they think we preach a work salvation when we mention baptism. And I put forth to you that we don't. Well, I put forth to you that I have in the past at least come off as if I were preaching a work salvation, but I promise you I don't mean to. All right, where was I going? Um. Born again, not of corruptible seed. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's go to Colossians. This is interesting. Colossians 2.12. Listen to this. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now, let's go to chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things that are above, where Christ setteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, on those things that are above, not on the things of the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. So it's very possible that John chapter 3, Jesus is being born of the Spirit. You, you You have to see a physical manifestation of being born of water in the Spirit. It's very possible that he's talking about the act of baptism. I think you can interpret it that way and not harm the text, nor would you harm the larger context of the Bible. I also believe that you can interpret it as a changed life. In other words, I see John Exum. I know what John Exum was before he obeyed the gospel. I really don't. I've only known John Exum as a Christian. But I know what John Exum was like before he obeyed the gospel. Now that he's obeyed the gospel, he's different. Oh, he's got a brand new life. He's been born, he, he's born again. Either one works, okay? Now, does that negate baptism? Well, God forbid, it absolutely does not, all right? Now, what role does the Spirit play in my baptism? I mean, <laughs> what role does the Spirit play in my baptism? What role does the Spirit play in my salvation? Well, it. we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. I put forth to you that whatever role the Spirit has, The Spirit accomplishes that role through the Word. Now, for that, we go to 1 Corinthians. I think it's like 12, 12 or 12, 13. It's 12, 12. All right. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that body being many, Are one body also is Christ Jesus, all right? For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, whether we have been, or excuse me, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. How in the world does the Spirit baptize us into one body? Now, if it is the case that the way I put on Christ and get into Christ is baptism, and it is, that's Galatians chapter 3. that's Romans chapter 6. That's Ephesians chapter, well Ephesians chapter 1:22 being made head over all things under the church, which is His body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. So the body is Christ. Christ is the head, and we have to be added to that body. The way to get into that body, the church of Christ, the one he owns, is to be baptized with him, to be raised again, to walk in newness of life. What role does the Holy Spirit play in that? Folks, the Holy Spirit tells me to do it. The Holy Spirit gives me the words of Jesus, the words which He spake when He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. I don't mean to teach a work salvation. What I get from Mark 16, 15, and 16 go ye into all the world and preach a gospel to every creature, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. From that one clause, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I am told that there are two things I must do must do in order to be saved. And if I want to be damned, there's only one thing. I just not believe. But if but if I want to be saved, I gotta do two things. I gotta believe and I've gotta be baptized. Does the water do anything? Well, God forbid. and take take the lesson of Nahum and the leper. Behold, I thought the man of God would come out and wave his arms and say something and my leprosy would be healed. Instead, he told me to go dip seven times in the dirty Jordan or not the Abana and the far par rivers of Damascus much better. Sir, my Lord, if the man of God would have told you to go do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more so? Wouldn't you just go wash and be clean? Look, the Jordan River didn't wash that man's leprosy away any more so than the waters of that baptismal pool washes our sins away. It's whenever our obedience coincides with the truth of God's word, the Holy Spirit delivers that word from Jesus. We obey it, and we receive the benefits of it. And thus is how we are born again. We are baptized by one Spirit. The Spirit operates in our baptism in delivering the Word, the Word that we follow. Now, Hebrew. the, the last verse in this is Hebrews, I don't know, chapter 10. I think 10.8. That don't sound right. No. Ten two. Hold on a second. It is 10-8. Why didn't I listen to me in the first place? All right, listen to this. this we're going to take this verse out of its context, but I don't want to turn your attention to the, to the sentence construct. Above. When he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sins, thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure therein, which are also offered by the law. How are those sacrifices for sin offered by the law? Did the law take on human flesh and, and make those offerings and sacrifices? Well, God forbid. The instructions of the law. So the priest did all of the sacrificing. The people brought the sacrifices to the priest. All of that happened by the law, in other words, by the instructions of the law. You might even say if you're setting up a 401c3 and somebody is auditing you, you can you can say, "Well, look, we set this up, everything is done by the book." So, well, what do you mean by the book? Oh, you had the rules and you made sure your, your corporation was set up according to the rules. Whenever I was baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins, the operation of the Holy Spirit came through the Word. I read the Bible, and I came to realize that I needed a Savior and that I was sin-stained. So I heard that invitation song, and I walked down the aisle to the preacher, and I said, "Well, I read everybody's sin and come short of the glory of God, and I'm everybody, so I need to have my sins washed away." Folks, that was the Holy Spirit operating through God's Word that pricked my conscience, as young and tender as it was. And that evening, they baptized me into Christ. And then was God Jesus's prayer for unity answered? Neither pray I for these alone. But for all those that shall believe on me through their word that they may be one, as I are in thee and thou in me, that the world may know that thou, that they may be one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And that's that's the way I would explain John 3, 5. I agree, being born again, equivalent to spiritual rebirth through the gospel. And if I am obedient to God's instructions, what steps must I take? to attain salvation? Well, Mark 16, 16 should be my answer. Yeah, I mean, well, that's... So, again, being fully uh, consistent and transparent, we got to be careful even with Mark 16, 16 because we can't replicate. So, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Well, I put forth to you that Mark 16 is a parallel passage to Acts chapter 2 that Jesus is telling the apostles, look, whenever you're commissioned to preach and you start preaching, the people that are going to hear you, if they believe they're going to be baptized, they're going to receive salvation. If they believe it not, they're going to be damned. But of those that believe, here's the signs that are going to follow. And in, and in my name they're going to cast out demons any any they're going to drink a, anything poison won't harm them they get bitten by a serpent it won't harm them well the folks received those abilities anyway again we can't replicate exactly what's going on in mark 16 uh, 16 but generally the the gen, the thing we can rep, replicate is the preaching of the gospel. So what can we replicate? Well, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God. Uh, He's a second member of the Godhead. He's returning, and he's returning to get his church, his body of people that believe and follow his commandments, precepts, and divine examples. Do you want to be a part of that group that Jesus is coming back to get? there's only one way to be a part of that group you got to be baptized into it you got to be born again not a corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of god which liveth and abideth forever all right let's go to john 16 7 through 13 and the sword and pearl if if I if you got any more questions about that please let us know um or let me know and and we'll answer them uh, hopefully i did a i did a good job John 16, yeah. John 16 is a good one. A lot of times we forget, sometimes whenever we're dealing with a hard topic, that there might be a place in Scripture that explicitly answers our question. And this is one of those examples. What is the role? Now, we, we talked about what do we get when we're saved? Well, we receive Salvation do we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? I do not think we do. I think the people in the first century received the gift of the Holy Ghost and and the apostles received it directly and the first century Christians received it through the laying on of the apostles' hands. So I do not think that the gift of the Holy Spirit has anything to do with salvation. I think that Whenever we hear the gospel and we obey the gospel, we receive salvation. Now, remember, the Holy Ghost is going to do what the Holy Ghost does, regardless of what any of us think or say the Holy Ghost is going to do or does. The only thing we can do is figure out what the Bible says of the Holy Ghost, which is hopefully what we've tried to do here today. Awesome. Thank you, sword and pearl. now the role of the Holy Spirit, though I put forth to you. Now chew on this before you throw a stone at me. Okay, I believe the role of the Holy Spirit in the first century, uh, the twenty-first century, is exactly the same, and incidentally, is accomplished the same as the first century. Now, just hear me out. Before you hear me out, though, I do need to ask, are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. She specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches or any other institution that she sees fit. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to Dotson at gmail.com today, which is the preferred method. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. And you will be quite pleased with what she does. Uh, we've had some good feedback from her work thus far. Now, I'm only putting this up because sometimes y'all ask. Here's the tip jar. All right, folks, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's role today and how the Holy Spirit accomplishes his role, I put forth to you, is the exact as it was in the first century. Let's read uh, John 16, 7 to 14. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Folks, the only thing that the Holy Spirit does is communicate God's will using God's word. That's it. The Holy Spirit's work was accomplished through God's word in the first century, just like the Holy Spirit accomplishes God's will through his word in the 21st century. It's always through the word. Now, there was a miraculous aspect in the apostolic age. We normally call it the age of <laughs> the age of miracles. Look, I don't know if any of you uh, read science fiction. I absolutely love this science fiction series called The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. And The Wheel of Time takes place in the age after the age of legends and I almost said the age of legends, but no, in in the long ago, there was what we call the age of miracles. And in the apostolic age, the Holy Spirit's job was, was carried out. The role of the Holy Spirit was carried out through the word, but in order for that to be accomplished, by default, there had to be some miraculous endowment during the apostolic age, okay? And we call that the age of miracles. But again, everything that the Holy Spirit has done is to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. So the world is going to be shown, look, you're in sin. Well, how do we know we were in sin? You just killed Jesus. So slam that into its context. Forget anything you've ever learned, forget anything you ever know, sla- slam that in its context and just be there with Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role, all right, is going to be to reprove the world of sin. Jesus died on the cross. You killed him, you you, you people, you Jewish leaders. Y'all have sinned, all right? Now, if it were the case that when the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, if that hadn't have come to fruition, in other words, if the power from the Holy Spirit had not ever been poured out, if Joel chapter 2 had never been accomplished on earth, then, in other words, if the word of God had not been delivered on the day of Pentecost, then the world would not have been reproved of sin. Because you would because the testimony that Jesus was who he was or was who he claimed to be when he was on earth is being raised from the dead. So Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, Romans 1. That would have never happened or that would have been proven to be untrue because the testimony that Jesus ascended and went back to his father was whenever the Comforter would come. If the Comforter had not come to the apostles, in which Neil Abbott's got a good comment there, um, if the Comforter had never would have never come to the apostles, then you would have known that Jesus just went off somewhere and lived a life and died and was not who he said he was while he was on earth, so therefore the world wouldn't have been in sin for killing him. Some say that they have the comforter today. I asked them to tell me, tell me something Jesus said that was never recorded. That's a good litmus test. In fact, you don't even have to go that far. Just say, uh, hey, what is Matthew chapter 9, verse 22? Or tell me, you know, can, can you quote the Sermon on the Mount? Because if you can't do that, if you can't tell me every word that is written down in the Bible, then you don't have the comforter. The comforter is going to guide the, whomever had the comforter, whomever has the comforter, they'll be guided into all truth and to bring to their remembrance whatsoever things Jesus said unto them. Well, if Jesus didn't say anything unto you, then you're not going to have the comforter because it would be impossible for the Comforter to do what the Comforter is supposed to do for the people who to whom was sent the Comforter. Yeah, I'll get that out in a minute. So we've already figured out then how the Holy Spirit reproves the world of sin. He testifies as to who Jesus actually is. Well, the Bible itself testifies. So the Word of God testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. So 21st century, Testifies Jesus is the Son of God, first century testifies Jesus is the Son of God. All right, of righteousness because when I go to my Father and you see me no more, um, how would one know if Jesus said it if it wasn't recorded without proof that is that can make up anything. Ha ha. Yeah, and and it, the reason I said that about but what, what Neil said like you you, you could say that and. Man, could you imagine the unmitigated gall that some people might have? Well, Jesus told the apostle Peter that he needed to get up from his desk and start preaching outside more. Well, how would you? No, he didn't. Well, how do you know? You know, but now I get it. That's a that's a good litmus test. You've got to be able to tell me every word Jesus ever said. You got to tell me the words Jesus said to the other apostles. You got you've been guided into all truth. You have a miraculous endowment of knowledge if you have the Comforter. Now, I don't want to I don't want to make people think that they're comfortless. We have a Comforter. That's Jesus. That's First John chapter two, brethren, my little children. Neither pray I wrong first, my little children. These things right I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, he have an advocate with a father? Advocate, paracletos, a comforter. That's Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Folks, my comforter, according to the scripture, is Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to reprove the word of righteousness There's a faction of the world, albeit very, very small, on the day of Pentecost, that were proven right. When the cloven tongues, like as a fire, set upon the heads of the apostles, and they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance, that was uncontrovertible, incontrovertible, I should say, proof and evidence that Jesus was the Son of God while he was on earth, is the Son of God, God in the flesh, and had sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So that's the second way, the holy. that's the second role of the Holy Spirit, to reprove the world of sin. We've talked about how he did that, to reprove the world of righteousness. That's how the the world was proved of righteousness, and it was through the word, through the testimony of the message. And again, come to the 21st century. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, I do. Well, the Holy Spirit testifies then that you're righteous. Right here. In fact, I can't I think it was Wayne Vaughn earlier in the show put a alluded to a verse in Romans. The Holy Spirit intercedes in our prayer life. Now I believe the Holy Spirit does that through the word, but again, he does it. It's incontrovertible. In Romans chapter 8, you know what else the Holy Spirit is said to do? Bear witness with our spirit that we're children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness that we're right. I'm right when I say that women and men are not interchangeable, that women have women roles, men have men roles, and if you want a really good society, You need good, tough, brutal, masculine men, and they need to be softened and tempered and tamed by very strong but very feminine women. Let me tell you something. There is nothing more formidable than a very masculine man who has the love and temper of years of practice of taking care of and living with a very strong yet very feminine woman. That's about all I'm going to say about that. All right, number three. Anyway, what proves that I'm right? The Holy Spirit. The Bible testifies that that's what we need. It is suboptimal for a single mother to rear children it is optimal for a mother and a father to rear children it is suboptimal for a single father to rear children it is suboptimal for two mothers to rear children it is suboptimal for two fathers to rear children the Holy Spirit testifies it reproves me of righteousness in that it proves that I'm right because the Holy Spirit testifies of how to rear children And it only testifies of one way. All right. Number next, this is the third of judgment because the prince of this world is to be judged. Now, in the very context, I believe this is talking about Satan. I believe that this was the bruising of the head that was prophesied in Genesis 3. And I believe that in the immediate specific context, the prince of the world is Satan, that you have closure now on this chain of events and scenario that played out in the Garden of Eden. Satan tempted Eve with the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan did not win, but Satan, well, Satan won that skirmish in that Satan uh, won that skirmish in that he bruised the heel of the seed. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm getting this backwards. The the, the seed of woman is going to bruise the seed of Satan. No, between thee, yeah. The seed of woman, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. That's it. The seed of woman, Jesus bruised the head of Satan. The point in time in which this this happened, whenever Jesus died, that was that was Satan bruising the heel of Jesus. But whenever Jesus was resurrected and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that was Satan bruising the head of, that was Jesus bruising the head of Satan. I am very sorry. I butchered that greatly. I had three or four things going on at once that took me out of the flow. Anyway, so this is not going to be very good if I cut it to make a short video. I'm going to have to redo it. But anyhow, of judgment, because the prince of this world is to be judged. This was the nail, this was the final nail in the coffin of judgment for Satan. And uh, it's also the final nail in the coffin of judgment for everybody. There was a time when the when God looked over the world's ignorance, but now caused all men everywhere to repent. Folks, the Holy Spirit delivers the word of God, and it is through the word we are judged. It is through the word that the prince of the world is judged. If we rebel against God, and we don't want to be soldiers in God's army, Satan will allow us to be princes in his. And we will be judged, and the Holy Spirit will do that or will accomplish that. He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He will show the world how it is condemned, how it is judged. And actually, it's judging which way. Well, if you're if you're in the world and the prince of the world, you're going to be judged to spend an in, in eternity in hell. And if you're not a prince of the world, the judgment that you're going to receive is you're going to spend an eternity with God in heaven. All right, the role of the Holy Spirit. To reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, well, we know what happened there. Of righteousness, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, the Holy Spirit testified that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. So they reprove the world of righteousness and of judgment because the prince of this world needs to be judged. Satan was judged. The people that follow him are judged. And that happens again through the word. And it happened that way in the first century and the 21st century. So outside of discernment, study, et cetera, he confirms or give us, gives us confidence in what we have affirmed as true from scripture and evidence. I don't, Ben, I don't understand that. Um, he does none of this separate and apart from the Word. So his role to reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, it's, it's all accomplished through the Word. Now, here's the thing. He doesn't judge the world, but the Holy Spirit reproves the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Reprove. In other words, he he shows, he shows the sin of the world, he shows the righteousness, and he shows the judgment. That's, that's the idea. So he has a reproving role, which again, that goes back to the witness. He bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So here's, am I a Christian? Well, I obeyed the gospel. The day I obeyed the gospel is the day that I was delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. I submitted my body to the watery grave of baptism. I was raised again to walk in newness of life. And currently in the year 2024, I am faithful to God. I attend worship services. I teach the Bible. I keep myself unspotted from the world. I try to minister to the fatherless and the widows and their affliction. I'm, I'm currently in a right relationship with God through Christ, and I can prove that by God's word. That's the Holy Spirit testifying with my spirit. And I think that's it. If anybody's got any questions about this, remember, I know I've got the tip jar up, but you can send me an email, Christianityisnow at gmail.com, and we can do show topics and stuff like that. You can ask questions and do shows topics. Uh, Ben, I hope I answered your question, or I hope I gave your question the proper credence and respect that it deserves because um, I think some, uh, I may just have a problem figuring out the thrust of what you're asking. But I will say that everything the Holy Spirit does is always through the Word of God when it comes to the Christian. Now, again, does the Holy Spirit operate in the world separate and apart from the word of God? Obviously. How does he do that? You don't know. Nobody knows. When I say you, I'm not talking to Ben. I'm talking about us. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Okay, Ben says, right, I agree through the word. Just curious where people think the Holy Spirit gives them direction or assurance as to what they've come to as true just how people coin it often even brethren yes even even brethren that that agree that would agree with everything I've said here today whenever they start talking about the holy spirit they will speak of the holy spirit as if the holy spirit is doing miracles and and guiding them directly so incidentally um we are guided by the holy spirit however when you look at the like when you look at the book of John, chapter 16, at our reading that we had, listen. Um, verse 13 Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you. That's the apostles, not us. He's going to guide the apostles into all truth. But one thing that we can know about the Holy Spirit he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. He's going to glorify Jesus uh, for he shall receive of mine and he shall show it unto you. The only thing the Holy Spirit is going to communicate is from Jesus. So whenever we say, well, you know, we got to walk in the Spirit, what that means is we got to walk according to Jesus's message. So it's really Jesus's message we, we, we really shouldn't say, well, it's the Holy Spirit that kept me from sinning because the Holy Spirit said, let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor honestly and work with his hands. Okay, well, the Holy Spirit did say that, but that didn't come from the Holy Spirit. That came from Jesus. So it's, it's That's why it's so important to properly identify our comforter. My comforter is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not my comforter through the word. The word is my comforter. The word is Jesus. Jesus is my comforter. Jesus is whereby the the world will be judged. Jesus is what quickens me. The words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. The The flesh prophet is nothing. It's the spirit, and the words that I speak, they're the spirit and they're the life. And then, of course, Jesus was the word made flesh. But it's Jesus, that's the word that quickens. Think about that. That's so profound. It's hard for people to wrap their mind around. They want to mystify it. Do we not gain wisdom from observing others, whether through personal interactions or by learning from their experiences, in order to experience greater caution in our own lives? Why do some individuals claim that the Holy Spirit communicates warnings about danger? Does this mean that those who face unfortunate outcomes are simply unwarned or unaware? Is that people's argument? Yes, <laughs> it is, and that, that's and that's the only argument they're left with. Here's the thing: I put forth to you, and not not like to uh, Terry Crooks. I'm not saying like to you, Terry Crooks. I'm just saying to anybody, I put forth that if you think the Holy Spirit is warning you and directly communicating with you, then you have to understand that the people, like why does God not love as much the people that he's not directly warning and communicating? I put forth to you that everybody has been adequately warned and adequately communicated with through the word, and that's why it's so important that we must study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's why it's important to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Okie dokie. Very good comments. Very good attendance. It's crazy how many people we get in this live stream. What blows my mind is I never dreamed that we would be streaming to... Like we got twenty five people all totaled, but I, I never thought in a, for a minute I'd get fourteen people on on YouTube. Christianity now streams on YouTube. That's crazy. I'd love for everybody to watch it on YouTube. Um, and incidentally, something you can do, go to your YouTube channel, go to my YouTube channel and go to playlist or podcast and click on that playlist and just let it play. You ain't even got to be in the room listening to it. And that that'll really help the algorithm pick us up. I really want to get monetized this year, not because I want to just make money for the sake of making money. I mean, don't get me wrong, I want to make money, but YouTube is YouTube gets money when we stream. When whenever y'all watch the program and interact with the program on YouTube, YouTube gets money. If we're monetized, YouTube wouldn't get all the money. We get some of it. Incidentally, today I just ordered two pieces of equipment for Aaron Dotson. I ordered a DBX 286s microphone preamp channel strip and I ordered ordered a tube mix 5 channel mixer for him to have there in Arkansas for his um, for his uh, studio there. Uh, and that's just we're just one more step closer to getting to where we need. So we can start having guests there at the studio where he is in Arkansas, um, and I uh, don't forget I would love for somebody to uh, step up and take a little bit of the ownership of the Christianity Now group. Uh, we do have a Christianity Now group on Facebook that's about a hundred and ten, um, about hundred and ten people strong. So far, I'm the only one that post in it, but I would love to have other people post in it. And even if you want to be a moderator or something like that, holler at me and maybe you could maybe see what you can do to grow the group. We would love to, love to do that. And, uh, we, you know, looking for like, like people, like minded people. And uh, if you'd like to help grow the group, holler at me. Um, also remember, don't forget, uh, you can do Christianity Now streams on YouTube. And that's by far where you get the, the better chance of having your comment read because evidently that works better with restream folks. I'm going to get off here. Thank you so much for your thoughts and prayers. Uh, I fell the other day for those who are jo- joining in and oh, I, it was actually, I fell yesterday and, but everything is all good. Um, just, just bruised just a little bit. That's the worst, but I'm a little sore in my body. Other than that, I'm fine. Uh, thank you, Neil Abbott really appreciate you. And, um, yeah, if y'all come up with like a really good expert that's kind of off the beaten path, not that I don't want to get like a really big name, but quite frankly, Steve Higginbotham and Dan Winkler, they're busy with their own stuff. But if y'all knew somebody who was really good talking about Providence, I uh, let me know. I'd like to get them as a guest on the show. Um, this has been Tony Brew with Cogitations, or excuse me, this has been Tony Brew with Christianity Now. I'm missing my good buddy Aaron Dotson. Um, be sure to go on Aaron Dotson's Facebook page or whatever he does and, uh, admonish him thoroughly for not being with us. He's doing something with his family today. I don't know what's going on. He's picking his family above live streaming, but, uh, anyway, that's all I've got. God bless you. Uh, remember substack, um, Ooh, yeah, Ben, it's rough out there. Greg James, Rusty Kirby. Thank y'all. Uh, Podbean Apple podcast, Spotify, TuneIn, radio. We'll catch y'all on the flip side, folks.